You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. so crazy about it's just music welcome to sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media i'm jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the chicago sun times and i'm greg cott i write about rock and roll for the chicago tribune this week jim and i are going to dig up our first chest of buried treasures for the new year And later on, we'll review the new album from Indie Darling's Animal Collective. You are listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time to welcome our newest affiliate. Yes, Greg, whenever a new station adds us, we like to play a piece of music from their environment that's very important to the history of rock and roll and or which we like a lot. San Francisco, K-A-L-W. Boy, we are thrilled to be on in uh, San Francisco. We're talking one of the great American music cities here. I mean, you know, contribution to rock history, which is ongoing. But when you talk about San Francisco and rock and roll, you really have to talk about one fabled summer when the vibe that was coming out of San Francisco spread across America and (laughs) everybody was looking towards the Golden Gate, right? I'm not talking 67. No, no, no. 1979, June, a band called the Dead Kennedys makes its debut with a single called California Uber Alas, actually taking a lot of shots at Jerry Brown. He was too liberal. They were complaining that he was imposing liberal fascism on the state. Pretty ironic, given its current governor. But what a way to say hello, San Francisco. California Uber Alas by the Dead Kennedys on Sound Opinions. I am Governor Jerry Brown. I are a smile that never frowns. California Uberalas by the Dead Kennedys welcoming San Francisco to Sound Opinions. Thanks for coming on board, KALW.
That is Taylor Swift, a country pop artist you don't often hear on Sound Opinions. But the reason <laughs> we're playing her today, Jim, is that uh, she is the number one selling artist of 2008. Yes, one final look at the numbers in 2008, and they are telling. Taylor Swift sold a lot of albums in 2008, four million to be exact, but she is the exception to the rule. Album sales once again plummeting, 14% this year. Since 2000, album sales in America have dropped by 50%. They were nearly a billion album sales in the year 2000. This year, 420 million. So a huge, huge drop-off. And of course, the digital downloading phenomenon has had something to do with it. What I find interesting about these stats, Jim, is that even though album sales are way down, the total amount of music purchased in 2008 has never been higher. 1.5 billion pieces of music, that includes digital downloads, ringtones, etc., were sold in 2008. That's an all-time record. 32% of the market right now is comprised of digital downloads. So people are gravitating towards their computers, buying more music online. Still, the record industry is in a lot of trouble because those $15, $16, $17, $18 CDs aren't selling the way they used to. So that's an important distinction to make here. Nonetheless, there were some artists that posted some big numbers in 2008. Yeah, Greg, it's worth noting that according to Nielsen SoundScan, which uh, is the first accurate monitoring of 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 point-of-purchase sales in the music industry that we've ever had, the top five albums of 2008 were Little Wayne's The Carter Three, Coldplay's Viva La Vida, Fearless by Taylor Swift, who we talked about before, Kid Rock's Rock and Roll Jesus, and ACDC's Black Ice, which, as we've said, was only available in Walmart. So that's really interesting. Corollary to that, Jim, is that the concert industry had a pretty good year. CD sales way down, but concert revenue way up, $4.2 billion, up 8% from 2007. This at a time when the economy supposedly is starting to tank. What is, I think, a cautionary note here for the concert industry, though, is that fewer tickets were sold than in 2007. Ticket sales were actually down 3%. So the reason they made more revenue is that the price of those tickets was way up. It increased 8% to nearly $67. Consider that in 1998, the average ticket price for a top tour was under 35 bucks. So the concert industry, even more so than the record industry with its CD prices, has gone way up in terms of what they're expecting people to pay. And Jim, I think if this trend continues, the concert industry could be in for a very bad year in 2009 because the economy isn't going in the right direction and no. people just aren't going to be paying 60, 70 bucks to go see a show. Well, 70 bucks plus 17.50 in Ticketmaster service fees per ticket right. plus the parking charge plus, you know, maybe dinner with your significant other. How many of us can afford a $200 night out anymore? Greg, you were just talking about digital downloads being up, and they cracked a billion in sales for the first time in 2008. I think we're going to see even more sales in 2009 because of this groundbreaking agreement that has finally been struck between two players that were at each other's throats. Apple and its iTunes store was fighting the traditional music industry over how much songs should cost. Steve Jobs, who ran Apple, came in and just arbitrarily decided, I know how to do business better than you, the record industry. I think songs. 
songs should cost 99 cents. That makes a lot of sense to me. Across the board, every tune, 99 cents. The only way he was able to sell at that price was the record industry imposed upon him this digital rights management software, DRM, where if you bought a song from iTunes, you could download it, but it was encoded so that you could only play it on the device you downloaded it on. I mean, you could burn a CD and make a copy, and it, but it was a lot of trouble, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the nice thing about the iTunes store is you go on, and 99 cents, you got the song you want, right? Right. Well, now they have this agreement. Finally, they've, they've come to a, a compromise. There's going to be no DRM on any Apple download anymore, you know, so you can play it on any device you want, which means you can also buy it and start sending it to your friends, <laughs> but the price is going to vary. Catalog songs, some of them are now going to be as cheap as 69 cents, but new hits are going up. Jobs backed off his position where every song should be 99 cents, and some of them now that are top hits may be $1.29. That's the beginning. We know that the record industry loves to jack up the price. We may see them go even higher. I think that, that one thing that's being missed is this might be very short-sighted. You know, the record industry might be getting more money in the short run for a top hit. But the thing that Jobs was trying to say, I think, with the 99-cent song is it's a dollar, right? Mm-hmm. You want the song? It's easier to download it than to steal it. Right. Especially if you have somewhat of a conscience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now... You know, maybe some kid is going to download the song at a dollar twenty nine, and then not feel as guilty giving it to ten friends, <laughs> especially now that it doesn't have that software encoding it. Right, and Jobs doesn't care because they'll all be playing it on his iPod anyway. So right, he's still going to be making money. It's Steve Jobs' world. We just live in it. <laughs> That is the completely distinctive guitar tone of Ron Ashton of the Stooges, one of the great guitarists of all time. The reason we are playing that iconic riff from one of the Stooges' classic songs, Dirt, is that uh, Ron Ashton was found dead in his house in Ann Arbor, Michigan, a few days ago at the age of 60. Ashton lived long enough to see his music elevated to iconic status, but that wasn't always the case, Jim, when the the Stooges formed in Michigan in 1967. Iggy Pop on vocals, Ron Ashton on guitar, his brother Scott Ashton on drums, and Dave Alexander on bass. These were blue-collar, dead-end kids who had nothing to do with the flower power generation that was sprouting up around them. Mm -hmm. All these hippie-flavored bands, all these uh, guitar players favoring these long, flowery, no Filled solos. <laughs> that band wanted nothing to do with this, and in process, almost in spite of themselves, laid the foundation for punk rock, post-punk, alternative rock, all the all the styles of music that became popular in the '80s and '90s and in the 2000s. Ashton lived long enough to see that music celebrated, and in fact, the Stooges finally got back together again after breaking up an acrimony in the mid-70s and enjoyed a really uh, fruitful reunion tour where they were playing to audiences 10 and 20 times larger than they ever played in their heyday. Now, the comeback album, The Weirdness, was not great, but to see them on stage playing those songs from the first two albums, the self-titled debut and Funhouse, in front of uh, crowds of 15,000, 20,000 and up was just really inspiring. 
engineering. Not a great technical virtuoso, no. uh, Ashton. Uh, started out on accordion before yeah. he picked up guitar. But he had a sound, a sound more important than than the skills, really. His friend, uh, Lester Bangs, who, who uh, was the rock critic who chronicled that Detroit sound, said he's the only guitarist in rock history who should have ever been allowed a wah-wah pedal. Because right? <laughs> everything else was hippie jamming on the wah-wah. Yeah. But with Ashton, it was just one more, you know, tidal wave of assault, knocking you over. So powerful was that guitar. Exactly. We had Ron Ashton on Sound Opinions a couple of years ago in the midst of that reunion built around the the Weirdness album. And Ashton talked about uh, where the band was at in 1967-68 when it was forging the sound. They weren't really writing songs. They were all about this sound and doing something different than any other band out there. First off, you've got to realize that Iggy was an accomplished drummer. So my brother also had played drums in the school, and he also played the harmonica. And myself, I've already played guitar. I took lessons in accordions, and I, I had a high school band. So we did have a musical background. The thing was, when we got together, we wanted to do something different. We didn't want to play sets of, of music. And I've never written a song before, and I think neither has Iggy. So getting together, just trying to do something different, starting out with don't use the drum sets. We invented our own instruments. We used the washboard with a contact mic. We had a 300-gallon oil drum <laughs> that we dropped a microphone down into and would just take like a, a little sledgehammer and beat it. It was an amazing sound. So the sound that they came up with really didn't translate super well to studio albums. When John Cale of the Velvet Underground came in to produce their first album in 1969, he said, boys, you need to come up with some songs. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And in a matter of days, they came up with some pretty good songs, uh, songs like I Want to Be Your Dog and No Fun. And well, and put that in perspective. It's 1969. Yeah. Woodstock is going on. They're singing about, you know, uh, submissive sex. They're singing about <laughs> no fun. They're singing about war across the USA. This was not a happy band. This was the birth of the punk attitude. Absolutely. And I think the punk attitude started with Ashton's uh, guitarist. I mean, I put him right alongside somebody like Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin or Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones in writing these kind of riffs that any kid who picked up a guitar in his garage for the next 30 years were going, yeah. Here's the riffs from I Want to Be Your Dog, you know? And I believe a, you've called him a master riff surgeon. Absolutely. that's he, he was the master of the riff. And those first two Stooges album, which uh, Ashton basically wrote the music for, uh, you know, the structure of those songs was largely built around Ashton's guitar. He had a lot to do with that. That second album, can't say enough about it. Funhouse, I think if you have to buy one Stooges album, that's the one. And here's the song with Ron Ashton's guitar all over it. TVI from the Stooges and the great Ron Ashton.
That's TVI from the Stooges. Ron Ashton dead at 60 on Sound Opinions. Coming up on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we'll dig up our first batch of buried treasures for the new year. And later on, we'll review the latest from Experimental Rockers, Animal Collective. Back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is the introduction to our periodic Buried Treasures segment on this show, where Jim and I look back on uh, a few records that uh, have slipped under the mainstream radar the last few months, haven't necessarily been reviewed properly on this show, but we feel needs your close attention. So we're going to go back and forth on uh, a few records that uh, we have loved in the last few weeks. And Jim, one of the records that came out in the fall and didn't receive the notice I think it deserved was the second album from Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan. Yeah, you're right. It's called Sunday at Devil Dirt. Isabel Campbell, one of the founding members of that uh, great Scottish pop band, Bell and Sebastian, a classically trained cello player, has now found a second life, uh, not so much as a singer, but as a producer and a behind-the-scenes Svengali-type figure, making these elaborate orchestral pop records with uh, Mark Lanigan, ex of the Screaming Trees and Queens of the Stone Age, as the vocalist. It's an interesting idea because it flips the script on that old Beauty and the Beast combination that we would see in the 60s with people yeah. like Serge Gainsbourg and Jane Burke and Nancy uh, Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood. Exactly. And usually it would be the male figure who was kind of the creepy behind-the-scenes guy with yeah. the <laughs> with the sweet-voiced female up out front. In this case, Campbell sort of plays more of the background mm-hmm. role. She does all the writing. She does all the producing, all the arranging. She does some background vocals, but Lanigan is the primary vocalist. Again, I think it's a wonderful formula. I think the little twist they put on it is particularly strong. They delve into roots music, blues and country and and, and those kind of things, Uh, but they put more of an orchestral twist on it. Campbell's orchestrations, her classical training, allows her to flesh out these arrangements in a way that's pretty sophisticated. 
And uh, Lanigan is a terrific vocalist. I think it's best, though, when Campbell compliments Lanigan, yeah. and the two of those voices are going back and forth. And, and that's the song I want to play from that record, an illustration of that sort of chemistry that they have. It's a song called Come On Over, Turn Me On from Sunday at Devil Dirt by Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan on Sound Opinions. That's Come On Over, Turn Me On from Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan on Sound Opinions. That is one of my buried treasures. Jim, you're up next. What record do we need to hear that slipped under the mainstream radar in recent times? Well, that was good stuff, Greg. That, that's a good start. I have to say that uh, what I did over my uh, Christmas vacation was <laughs> read hundreds of emails from people disagreeing with this, that, or the other in my top 10 list uh-huh. of, of 2008, or in my case, was the top 50. My favorite emails were, you know, I, I really liked your list, but how could you have forgotten? Right. Fill in the blank. Yes. And, you know, we listen to a tremendous amount of music, but, but we can't listen to everything. <laughs> and then, you know, when, when there's a real passion attached to how could you have not loved the Ponytail album, well, I have to go listen to the Ponytail album. And you know what? The correspondent who said, you got to get hip to Ponytail, they are absolutely right. Mm-hmm. This is a four-piece band from Baltimore who released its second album in 2008 called Ice Cream Spiritual. I think it was an interesting year for indie rockers revisiting the girl group sound. If you mm-hmm. think of something like Los Campesinos or right. the Ting Tings, well, I tell you, Molly Siegel, who fronts Ponytail, is 
way above and beyond all of that. Really? This is Yoko Ono <laughs> if she had been in the Ronettes. Oh, God. There are times when you cannot even figure out, you know, not only is she speaking English or any other language you could discern, but is that a human being? Mm-hmm. Could it be a narwhal or, or some monstrous space creature moaning and shrieking and yelping? And yet it's always with this wonderful bubblegum pop sensibility over this raw kind of pummeling indie rock. It's a really interesting record and a really catchy record and a really joyful record. Given, you know, that some people may think, oh my God, I can't stand that vocal. I love it. I loved it from the first time I heard it. I've loved it the next hundred times I've played it. I'm going to play one of the coolest songs from this record. It's called Beg Waves by Ponytail on Sound Opinions. Now, don't you just love that? That's amazing. What a vocalist. Molly Siegel and the band is called Ponytail. The record's Ice Cream Spiritual. I'm loving that on Sound Opinions. Greg, uh, you got another buried treasure for me? I absolutely do, Jim. I want to play a group from uh, New York City named Springhouse, a band that made a couple of undeservedly overlooked records in the early 90s, uh, Landfalls and Postcards from the Arctic, heavily influenced by that British shoegazer sound. In other words, heavy guitars with dreamy vocals, very melodic and yet at the same time uh, very heavy sounding. Mm. On their new record, their first one in more than a decade from now to okay, they've dialed down the heaviness of those guitars and focused more on songcraft. Very British invasion influenced pop record here. A lot of references to classic 60s pop like the Kinks, Dear Prudence era Beatles, the Zombies, there's falsetto vocals, there's beautiful melodies, those shimmering nylon string guitars ringing out over the top. It's a beautiful pop record. One note about this record, perhaps the most famous member of Springhouse is the drummer, Jack Rabbit, who uh, not only drums but sings uh, background vocals on the record. Rabbit puts out an amazing fanzine, The Big Takeover. And I mention it only because he's been doing it for almost three decades. I mean, this thing has been coming out with regularity yeah, yeah. twice a year. It's as big as a phone book. 
and it is amazing. Jack has been doing this out of his apartment for the last 25 years. In his spare time, he's a drummer for Springhouse, and you can hear some of his work on this next song. The other members of the band, Mitch Friedland on guitar and vocals, Larry Heineman on bass and guitars. It's Springhouse from Now to OK, and here's the song Passion on Sound Opinions. That's Passion from Springhouse, one of my buried treasures. Jim, what's next for you? Greg, you mentioned shoegaze rock, and it is one of our favorite sounds. I would not have thought that shoegaze could come together with hardcore punk very effectively. <laughs> They're sort of diametrically opposed, no? Well, it happens in a band that I will call Messed Up. That's not their name, because I can't say their name on the radio. The New York Times uh, was very funny when it wrote about it. It just never named the band. It recommended that you go online and Google its its leaders. 10,000 Marbles is the guitarist, and Pink Eyes is the vocalist. <laughs> this is a long-running band that first came together in Toronto in 2001, and since then, they have put out nearly 40 recordings. Wow. The Times, as I said, called them the best band in North America right now. I don't know if I'd go that far, but this is a fascinating record, Chemistry of Common Life, their second release on the Matador label, where finally they've pulled together everything. There's a lot of in-your-face hardcore punk, which is all just about as being as extreme as possible, okay? And if you name your band Messed Up, and that's not really the name, you know, it's not exactly like you're, you're courting popularity, yeah. you know what I mean? But here they have a lot of melody comes in. Tons and tons of guitar overdubs where you begin to get these walls of layered harmonic overtones, as many as 70 guitars mm-hmm. on some of these tracks. And then you throw in analog synthesizer and all this other stuff. Pink Eyes is a, a, a uh, <laughs> nasty vocalist, but that combination of sweet and sour that you and I are both suckers for really comes in with these beautiful melodies in back of that aggression. I'm going to play a song called Crooked Head from the new album by Messed Up, Chemistry of Common Life on Sound of Things. Living like a 
That is one of Jim's buried treasures. The band we're calling for FCC-approved purposes <laughs> messed up with a song called Crooked Head. We're going to be back with more buried treasures in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. In the meantime, if you want to make a comment on this show or anything we're playing, give us a call at 888-859-1800 or email us at interact at soundopinions.org. More buried treasures coming up, plus a review of the new Animal Collective. Back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Mr. Cotton and I are doing our first Buried Treasures installment of 2009. We do these, I don't know, two, three, four times a year. One of our favorite kinds of shows. Music we haven't had a chance to talk or write about, but we really want to bring to your attention. You know, that's a record that we never talked about on Sound Opinions. It was yes. a track called Ray Stacks by Bon Iver, the debut album by Justin Vernon for Emma Forever Ago. You know, we never got around to reviewing it, but it's been on tons of other critics' top ten lists, gotten mm-hmm. a lot of press, especially as the year progressed. People love this record. Beautiful, quiet, acoustic musing. Justin's band had broken up. He took off, lived in a cabin in the woods in Wisconsin for four <laughs> months, and made this record playing almost everything himself. few overdubs later on. Definitely a record that was, that was uh, kind of buried and is now being unearthed as as the new year progresses. Uh, lots of records that came out in 2008, uh, Jim, that you, you realize, I mean, no, barely anyone noticed. And you feel kind of sad because, man, this band made a great record and, and uh, you know, nobody <laughs> heard about it, you know? Uh, one of the bands that I just picked up, the, here's, a, here's a record that actually came out in the spring and I just finally caught up with it. I'm going, man, how come we didn't talk about this record? I wish we'd, we'd listened to it sooner. It's a band from Sweden, Stockholm, Black Strap, uh, with their second record called Steal My Horses and Run. 
there's another band from Sweden that has a similar sound that I have been touting on the show. A couple of years ago, saw them at South by Southwest, Serena Manesh. And mm. uh, Blackstrap is in that mode. You can just tell that these bands, they independently or not, or, or maybe they got together sometime at a, at a party back in the, uh, in the early 90s, but you can just tell that these folks were sitting down and listening to bands like Spiritualized and the Jesus and Mary Chain and Spaceman 3 and saying, we got to form a band. Blackstrap is following in that tradition. It's a co-ed quintet founded in 2001 by Jonathan West and Maria Linden. Linden adds some vocals, but West is the primary vocalist. And again, it's that heavy, overdriven guitar sound, a little bit of that space rock influence, a little bit of that shoegaze influence that we talked about earlier with great melodies. Here's an example of it. It's a, it's a record called Steal My Horses and Run, and the track is Lay Down Low on Sound Opinions. much music, so little time. Steal My Horses and Run is the name of the album from Blackstrap, and that is a track called Lay Down Low, one of my buried treasures uh, of recent weeks. Jim, what have you got next? Uh, I actually tried to get you to listen to this record so we could talk about it, but we never <laughs> got around to it. So much music, so little time indeed. They have sort of the opposite problem of the band we called Messed Up. Their name is Women, and their album is called Women. Mm-hmm. And you try to Google some information right. on this band, yeah. and you know, I mean, we're living in the Google age, right? It's like, not, like, what were you guys thinking about, right? <laughs> How are you going to get your music found out there? Thankfully, they have a, a good label, Jag Jaguar, put out this record. The group is from Canada. It's a quartet. It's kind of... Uh, Uh, picking up that lo-fi mantle of pavement, post-punk pop songs recorded in a very lo-fi way. What you have here is that kind of garage take on pop that we're hearing in uh, in Deer Hunter, in Time's New Viking. For my money, when I got into this album, I, I think this is better than, than all of that. A- anybody working in that terrain right now. Too often, the, the lo-fi noise of a recording is used to mask the fact that we really don't have any good songs under here. <laughs> you know what I mean? I never bought that, that Robert Pollard guided by voices. You know, it sounds awful 
awful, but the songs are great. Well, you know, if it sounds awful, I don't want to listen to it. Here, the sound is actually part of it. It's You feel like you're in the junk shop with these guys, and they're picking up things, you know, haphazardly as they stumble across them, and all of a sudden, a song comes together. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful stuff. I'm going to play a song called Black Rice from the album Women by the band Women on Sound <laughs> Opinions. Black Rice by the band Women from their album Women on Sound Opinions, the last of this batch of buried treasures, our first for the year. That's the track Also Frightened from a new album by the band Animal Collective. The name of the album is Meriwether Post Pavilion. The ninth album of this band's career that stretches back to 2000 actually roots uh, going back to the 90s on the East Coast, the Baltimore area. Since then, the group has uh, migrated to several locations, primarily New York. A core quartet with actually two primary songwriters, guys calling themselves Avatar and Panda Bear a.k.a. David Portner and Noah Lennox. The group, as I said, has been around for a while. They've put out a number of albums. And, Jim, every time they put out a record, it seems like they're starting over. They never make the same record twice. They have become extremely popular, not only with the Pitchfork 
indie rock crowd, but with the jam band fan base as well. A lot of people gravitating towards their shows in sort of a mini Grateful Dead fashion because no two shows are alike. Mm -hmm. You never know what the band is going to play. And uh, frequently mind-blowing not only sound but also visuals at their at their uh, live performances. Uh, most notably, they played a big outdoor show at the Pitchfork Music Festival last summer that, I mean, the light show alone, if you just stood back uh, a <laughs> couple of blocks away, you could see that light show, you could hear the sound, and you go, something's going on here. I mean, there's an event going on. Their new album is named Meriwether Post Pavilion, which is an outdoor music venue in Maryland that was designed by Frank Geary in the 60s. And the band members used to hang out there in their summers growing up. What they did, they said, was to try and make a new album that evoked the spirit of those big outdoor shows. They wanted to make an album worthy of being played at the Meriwether Post Pavilion. Here's an example of what's on it. It's called Summertime Clothes. It's from Animal Collective and the new album Meriwether Post Pavilion on Sound Opinions. Summertime closed by Animal Collective from their ninth album, Meriwether Post Pavilion. 
Greg, you know, when I talked to uh, Ave Ter, mm-hmm. <laughs> a.k.a. Dave Portner, in 2006, we, we chatted for a long time about good jamming versus bad jamming. <laughs> you know, good jamming in rock history is can, is Velvet Underground. Bad jamming is fish. <laughs> he hated the idea of being called a jam band because, you know, he would be compared to fish and the Grateful Dead. Sometimes I think that that was warranted. There is not a long history of getting everything right on album in the Animal Collective uh, considerable canon. This album is very different. It reminds me of the last generation's indie psychedelic heroes, the Flaming Lips, when they fully came into their own in 1993 with transmissions from the Satellite Heart, or Mercury Rev, when all of a sudden, after you know a decade of slogging away, they released Deserter songs in mm-hmm. 98, and you say, oh my god, they finally got everything right. I had no idea this band was so brilliant. The band says that their main touchstone is the uh, Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd, okay? Also a good example of good jamming. But what I'm hearing a lot on this record is is a lot of influence of the Beach Boys circa Pet Sounds, mm-hmm. uh, which is, of course, a beautiful, introspective summer record, so I can understand how they were getting there. But, you know, all of those harmonies, those layered harmonies, the tinkling uh, harpsichord bell tones in the background, <laughs> and those single grand piano notes that linger for three or four seconds, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it sounds utterly fresh and exciting. I generally have a very very short attention span for hippie. So when they're singing, uh, I, I don't mean to seem like I care about material things, my social stance, just give me four walls and Adobe slats. I was like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about moving to the <laughs> desert myself right now. So this is a bit of utopian idealism and hippie beauty that I'm really digging. I got to say, this is a buy it record by all means. It's interesting to me, Jim, how this band has fused different eras. Uh, at times, you could think, okay, '60s psychedelia. You know, you mentioned Sid Barrett, but there's also a, a heavy dose of you know that late '80s, early '90s rave scene as it yeah. started to develop. They have bass tones on this record, as synthesized bass tones, that remind me a lot of like what Bernie Worrell was doing in Parliament Funkadelic in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, so they've got this rave, hip-hop, funk flavor to the music, as well as this 60s psychedelia. And what pulls it all together for me is the songwriting is so strong on this record. And on their past records, hit and miss for me mm-hmm. because the songwriting wasn't particularly consistent. But the melodies are glorious. When you talk about cinematic music, these songs conjure images of merry-go-rounds and kids blowing soap bubbles and the moon is a big disco ball <laughs> rotating in the sky. That's what I'm, what I'm seeing. And this is without chemical enhancement, mind you. You go, this Cut. music is doing it for me. It's an ecstatic dance record. And in a way, it's just the record we needed. In the gloom of the winter of 2009, this record is a great antidote to what's going on out there and it's a buy it record all the way for me there you go two buy it's on the buy it burn it trash it sound opinions rating scale what do we have on the show next week greg next week jim we have a set of songs that we're going to call presidential rock celebration of the inauguration of president-elect barack obama songs that deal with uh, the legacy of presidents in the united states fun stuff greg as always sound opinions was produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, with executive production, oversight, and inspiration from Tori Southside Malatia, digital rights management free from the beginning. <laughs> On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. Come on and uh, answer your phone.
Hey, this is Barry Zimmerman from Norman, Oklahoma. I just listened to your uh, mixtape, 2008. And, uh, golly, man, are you guys on uh, some kind of suicide watch? Is, are people close to you uh, aware that you're just listening to sad, sad music and throwing in Little Wayne just to kind of remember that there is sex in the world? That Weezer song, man, God, so awful. It's everything that's bad about commercial radio, just sappy crap. Anyway, love your show. Talk to you later. This is Mike from Chicago, and I just listened to the last show, and I am getting so sick and tired of heart songs. I think it's the biggest piece of trestle I've ever heard in my life. And uh, if you're really looking for just a song that's a list poem about musical influences that's actually good, why don't you try putting on Daft Punk teachers? Thanks. Mike Meyer, Chicago, Illinois. Love the show. DJ Funk, DJ Sneak, DJ Rush, Watts Master, Hyperactive, Cam and Gerald, Brian Wilson, George Clinton, Lynn Lewis, Ashley Beadle, Neil Lindstrom, Hey, this is Jim from Durham. I um, just have got done listening to your mixtape show, and I've got to agree with some of your previous callers have called in about your uh, buy it, burn it, trash it scale. When I hear the mixtape show and your favorite albums of the year, I think you're doing what you should be doing, which is turning people on to music that you really like instead of talking about old, tired old groups like the Eagles and trashing them. But it just seems to me that it's a really good show when you find music that you like and tell us about it, and that's what I listen for. Thanks very much. Bye. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Jeremy from Rifle, Colorado. I was calling in response to a caller from a few weeks ago who got on your guys' case about your buy it, burn it, trash it rating scale, that it was too simplistic. The reality is that even if you're like a grad student who seems sees strange new realms in Bob Seger music that that the construction workers and the auto mechanics who exalted Bob Seger to fame in the first place couldn't possibly see. The moment at which you connect to music, that it really puts the hook on you, is very simple and very simply articulated, whether it's buy it, burn it, trash it, or me like, me don't like. So that guy should just relax a little bit. Keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Brad from Arlington, Virginia. Just heard your latest show where you picked Unknown Legend from Neil Young as your Desert Island pick. I was just at my folks' house over the Christmas holiday and found my old Harvest Moon CD in their collection that they had stolen from me. I left it sit there for near a decade and I just grabbed it back from them and was listening to it just a couple days ago. She used to work in a diner Never saw a woman look fine. I used to 
That is a great song. Good pick. Keep it up, guys. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.